0: Wow. <laughs> you guys can be seated, but I kind of like when, what you just did. There's lavender up here. This is a men's talk. There was, I came up here, there's some kind of essential oil. I'm so ticked right now. It's like the worst vibe I need for a men's talk, especially after that. And there was no Tommy boy in that, so someone's fired. Right? We're talking manhood. Tommy Callahan, what? How are you guys doing? Hey, I'm dyslexic. Can you start the clock over and not let it count down, let it count up from zero up? Because I won't be able to do the math, and I'll talk for an hour, and nobody wants that, right? (laughs) All right, if you're visiting with us, my name's Chad. I'm one of the guys on staff at Red Rocks. Um, I have the privilege of working with some of the most amazing people, and a lot of them are what makes this happen. And so I just want to give honor real quick where it is due. Um, For a long time now, I have been friends with Jesse and John Davis and they are some of the most you guys know this because you get to be around them week in and week out but they're some of the most precious God-honoring God-fearing humble people that I've ever met and watching what Jess has done with this thing from the day that she went and asked Sean if she could start this from a small group and watching what it is now a room full of over a thousand you guys know you're supposed to be at the bar tonight right and you're here worshiping Jesus like I'm just I'm blown away so when people post and from my generation on Facebook about you're the trophy and everyone got a ribbon and that's why you guys suck, no, don't even listen to it. Block them immediately, all right? Here's the truth. Every gen- There's only one generation better than millennials. It's the generation after you. And there'll only be one generation better than, than, what is it, Generation Z? And it's the one that's coming after them. And here's why. As sin doth abound, that much more does God's grace abound. There is a grace and a favor there's a, 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 a more effortless rhythm that you guys, if you will just embrace it and embrace the purpose he has on your life, there is a rhythm of grace you're going to have to accomplish what he's called you guys to accomplish that I don't have. It's going to be next level. And then the generation, this is why you got to treat the generation below you so well, and you got to pour into them, and you got to speak life into them. That's why I, I woke up one day and said, I will never demean a millennial. I will be honored and proud to speak life into you guys because you're going to do things my generation never came close to doing. So when they start talking trash and they start calling you names, they're the one that made up the whole trophy rule in the first place. My generation, we're the ones to blame for that, whatever. Move on, Chad. There's just so much potential in this room and I'm just so honored um, to be here tonight. The Bible says this in Proverbs 20, verse five. The purpose of a man's heart is deep waters. But the one who has insight, character, integrity, draws them out. Guys, you're way deeper than you think. It's typically the women that get credit for being all deep and, you know, and, and talking all deep and, you know, having, um, you know, being intuitive and being um, really in touch with their emotions. And guys, we're supposed to be tough and we're supposed to clog all that up. But all I know is the wisest man, according to the Bible to ever live, said that, hey, guys, it's true. There, there's a depth in you that you don't know is there. But the wise guys in the room are the ones that have the courage to draw that stuff out. And this is what we call character. And it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of bravery. The way the world defines masculinity and bravery and courage is ludicrous. Here's what the world defines masculinity as is they define it by the, the amount of conquests that you guys have. But the word of God and the kingdom of God defines masculinity by the degree of character that you have. It's not conquests. It's not plaques on the wall. It's not money in the bank. It's not how many girls you've dated, broke up with and moved on to the next one. It's not the trophy wife on your arm. It's not the job with the sweet view. It's not titles on the door. It's how you treat each other. It's how you treat yourself. It's how you treat your future spouse someday. It's how you treat women and children. That's what warriors in the kingdom of God are. And here's the deal, man. Let me say this right out of the shoots. And I'm not just speaking for my night. I'm speaking for this three-part series. It's going to be awesome. My main man, Ryan Leeks coming in from Dallas next week. It's going to be incredible. Don't you love, Ryan? And then, of course, the, the man himself, Douglas, is going to finish it up in week three. So you're not going to want to miss it. But I want to say this. Uh, here's what the world has done such a disservice to is how we define masculinity. We think it's strength. We think it's physical strength. We think, like I said, it's in, it's in the amount of conquest that you as men have. Listen, we need warriors and we need writers, gentlemen, and you shouldn't apologize for how God designed you to be. We need policemen. We need poets. And either one of those, you shouldn't apologize for how God designed you to be, Right? We need all kinds on all of the spectrum of masculinity. And again, I want to come back to this idea that masculinity is an issue of character, not an issue of conquest. So the purpose of a man's heart is deep waters, but the one who has insight, has the guts to draw them out, and that's what this three weeks is about. We're going to draw those things out. I just was the uh, creeper in the back row at the women's conference, actually, which was weird. They let me sit in the front row, and that was super awkward. I just felt creepy the whole time. But I have FOMO, and when our church does something fun, I don't want to miss out. And so I was there, and my wife was a part of it, and I was just celebrating her and the rest of the team. And Jesse preached also, and um, they just all did such an incredible job. But I felt creepy the whole time. But I, I noticed something about the few women's conferences that I've had the privilege to sit in on is that they speak so kindly and intentionally and graciously over the women the whole time. It's like a big love fest, right? and for du- it's just it's incredible, and there's just this kindness and there's this graciousness, and they get serious and, and they call they call you ladies to something strong and something powerful and something beautiful, but they do it with such grace, and then I've preached it so many, I'm guilty of this, and, and been at so many men's conferences, and it's just like they give you some bacon, they throw a brave heart clip in, and they tell you you have no integrity now come to the altar and you you know that's. That's basically how it always goes every time, right? And the only way to be a dude is to do CrossFit and eat a whole bunch of bacon, which I kind of agree with, but, and I'm sitting there going, man, why is it that women have such a kindness and a generosity towards each other? And when it's time to do the man talk, we think the right thing to do to honor God is to get a bunch of men in a room and just beat them down into submission. That's never the heart of God. We just did a series at our church, right, about the prodigal son coming home. Did you guys see, gentlemen, the response of the father to that son at the height of his rebellion? Did you see the loving kindness and mercy and tenderness of that father towards his son and his son's most vulnerable moment on the backside of his biggest mistake? And so I want you to understand this going into the first of three weeks. We're not going to come here and beat you guys over the head and try to get you into some kind of um, unbiblical submission that feels really good and noble and ethical. We're not going to do that. We're here to speak life over you, gentlemen. And ladies, I need a favor from you. I need you to be the biggest cheerleaders in the room, okay? I need you, thank you, I need you to speak life over these men. I need you to be sisters in Christ. I need you to be the women of God. That There's sometimes, uh, men, we need to encourage each other better, but ladies, there's just something when you look a guy in the eye and it's not for all the reasons that it usually is. You're not trying to get a date, you're not trying to get his number, but you see a friend of yours who's a brother in Christ and you have the character and the integrity and the dignity to look at him and speak life over him. Man, we need that as men to each other, but there's something so powerful when a woman looks at a man and says, I see something great in you. And listen, you don't have to hit on him to do that. Now you can, I'm not necessarily against it, right? (laughs) Worse places to do it than here. However, This isn't three weeks of you ladies checking out. This is three weeks of you ladies stepping up and saying, we need strong men. We need men that are courageous. We need men that are brave. We need men that are full of integrity. We need men that are full of character. We need men that are gonna do right by us as we do right by them. We need men that are actually fired up and excited to lay down their lives for their wives as Christ laid down his life for the church. But listen to me, this is much easier than you think because sometimes you ladies are crazy. I better move on. (laughs) I can hear it in my head. Move on, Chad. So, do this. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Genesis chapter four, going back to our roots. Genesis chapter four, we're going to look at a story of two brothers. I grew up in a family with me and my brother. I was the younger one, he was the older one, and the older one in this story is Cain, the younger one's Abel. We know how that turned out. So, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We're going to look at Cain and Abel, and and the reason I wanted to do this, and I'm super passionate about what God's put on my heart, is because this is a cautionary tale of the first rank, gentlemen, about what it looks like for a man to walk in brokenness and not know what to do with it. It's a cautionary tale, because here's the truth, okay? And this isn't just for the men. This is every one of us in here, but, but gentlemen, I'm speaking to you right now. Every one of us in this room are broken in deeper ways than we think. Now, that sounds like wah, wah, wah. Great talk, Chad. Thanks. So incur- no, listen, it's just a reality. Can we be real in church tonight or do I need to do the fake thing and let's just have, okay, all right, all right. So every man in this room is broken. And when I say broken, I'm, I'm kind of interchangeably using that with the word shame, right? Shame was the first thing that humanity experienced that was ungodly. It was the first and most powerful. In fact, I have a theory and I really think I'm right, but I won't know it till heaven for sure. But I have a theory that every other negative thing that we do in our life, every rebellion in the human heart is birthed out of shame at some point and brokenness. So when I say brokenness tonight, I'm really talking about shame right? And so when I say brokenness, you guys typically start to think about sin. You start to think about temptations where you struggle, temptations where you you start to think about ethics, right? And that is definitely a part of brokenness, is the ethical approach to life. This word sin has an, uh, an important part in this spectrum when it comes to brokenness. But when I'm talking about brokenness, I'm talking about the total story of you. So when I'm talking about brokenness, I just wrote some things down. Of course, sin patterns, are a contributor to human brokenness and to male brokenness. But it's not that, it's family baggage. And all of us, some more than others, way more than others, but all of us walk in this room with some degree of family baggage, mom baggage, dad baggage, both. Family outside of mom and dad. And that's part of the story that has lent to your brokenness. And you were, for the most part, a lot of times, born into that. We have men in this room that are deeply wounded and acting out, and they don't know a name to give to it, yet at some point in their early childhood, they were abused and don't realize that so much of the rebellion is birthed out of something that they never chose, but it chose them. And God wants to heal that tonight. I'm telling you. If you will give a name to your brokenness, God wants to heal that tonight. Some of it's uh, stuff people have done to you that have added to your brokenness. It's called junior high. Talk about traumatic, right? There's literally some brokenness, the residual effects of brokenness simply from seventh and eighth grade. God be with us all. (laughs) Stuff you've done to people. You ever done something, done wrong by someone and sat under the weight of what that feels like? It's awful. There's very few things in my life I have experienced that feel more awful to my soul and wrong to my soul than when I've done wrong by someone and I know it. So that's a part of your brokenness. Uh, Fears that you were born with, fears that have been cultivated over time because of your experience, your fears are a part of your brokenness, any setbacks uh, that you've had in this lifetime are a part of your brokenness, harsh words, man, words are so powerful, harsh words that have been spoken over you in this lifetime adds and contributes to the story of human brokenness, and then here's a big one for some of you in this room, some of you have sat through profound tragedies in your lifetime. You've lost people in just tragic ways and it has been uh, and had such an indelible print on your heart and it adds to the story of your brokenness. And the reason I wanted to look at Cain and Abel is I want to do this tonight, gentlemen. I want to propose to you that we're not looking at Cain and Abel as two separate people. I want to propose to you that we're looking at Cain and Abel as the capacity that we as men have on the inside of us. I am, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to make a case theologically that I'm actually right, but when I first say it, some of you are going to go, uh uh-uh, oh that's an anti-faith statement. And I'm going to ask you to stick with me. We are equal parts Cain, and we are equal parts Abel. Come on, can we not be honest? There is such a capacity for hypocrisy and duplicity in the human heart. That's why it blows my mind when people say, I'm not going to church, they're all just a bunch of hypocrites, and we know the answer to that. That's why We go. That's why I'm at church, because every time Abel is doing his beautiful worship centered thing, Cain comes along, rears his ugly head. And one of those voices of fear or doubt or anxiety starts to speak. And all of a sudden I start to act on that voice instead of the voice of Abel. And the next thing you know, I've gotten myself in a whole lot of trouble. And every one of us in here, if we're honest, we have that capacity in us. And I'm not saying pre-salvation. I'm saying post-salvation. It's just a reality. Let me give you an example. And I hesitated to tell this story because it's inappropriate. And then I remembered I'm me. <laughs> Email. <laughs> Email one at Red Rocks Church. If you No, I, I, I want to say this on a serious note Be, uh I'm going to tell this story, and I'm going to ask for some maturity in this room, because if I'm going to call some stuff out of you gentlemen while I have this sweet, precious time with you guys, I want to go first. That's really the ultimate thing leaders do. They're not better than anyone else. They just go first. And so I'm not trying to be shock jock pastor when I tell you this story. In fact, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you this story. I'm putting myself out there, so I'm going to ask for a little dignity and respect, and I'm going to try and tell it as appropriately as possible. I was 20 doing the math, 98, 99, I was 24, 25 years old. I got saved when I was 23. I moved to Rockford, Illinois. You guys hear uh, Sean and I talk about that all the time. And I went there to basically get out of my environment and try and learn something about Jesus. And I went there and I was gonna go there for nine months and I ended up staying there for almost eight years and became a pastor and that wasn't on the docket either. And here we are. But I go there and I was an intern at this point and we had just come off a really tiring season with retreats and some other stuff. And so I was just, I was just whooped. And for the first time since I had been saved, it was probably a year, year and a half since I had been saved, I felt for the first time, like, I don't know if I want to do this. And most of it was me beating myself up. And most of it, listen to this, was simply because I was tired. Remember, remember, I've said this many times when fatigue walks in, faith walks out. And so I was having all these mind games and Cain's voice was way louder than Abel's voice. And I was having all these mind games, and... I went to my boss, our, our, our mentor and the first lady to give us a job who I love so much. And I just started breaking down and I started crying and she had never seen me cry before. That was rare. I started crying and I'm just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to quit. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be in ministry. I definitely don't want to be an intern. I'm just not good enough and I can't keep up with this pace. And it's just too much. And I, you know, I already struggle with beating myself up. I'm, my inner critic is like awful. And some of you, that's not you, but for me, that's me. And she just looks at me, and as I'm just bawling and talking away, she's just sitting there writing a check. And I'm going, this is kind of rude. <laughs> and she's just writing a check, and I'm going, like, are you paying bills while I'm, breaking, I'm giving you my heart right now? And she ripped it out, and she handed it to me, and it was a check for $300. That's 1998, Rockford, Illinois. That's baller status, 300 bucks, right? I made $50 a week. So that's six weeks pay right there for nothing. And she looks at me and she says, I want you to get out of town for two days and I want you to go to a hotel. And I want you to take your Bible and I want you to take a journal and and your tanks are empty right now, Chad. I want you to fill your tanks up. And I said, will do. And I took the check. And I drove up from Rockford, Illinois, right over the border in Wisconsin to a place called Janesville, Wisconsin. And I went to the Holiday Inn, room 310. I'll never forget it. And outside of that room was an Applebee's right down there at the bottom of the hotel room. And I went in there and, like a good Christian man, like Abel would do, I went in there and for three hours. Now, I hadn't prayed for more than 30 minutes prior to that. So this was like for three straight hours, I prayed. I read my Bible. I read Jeremiah. That was a bad idea. Not not when you're tired, don't read Jeremiah. Don't do that. Wrong time. There's time for it, but not then. I read Jeremiah. I'm praying. I'm calling out to God. I don't. I hate journaling. I think it's dumb. And I'm journaling away like, Jesus, help me. I'm going to quit and all this stuff. You know, stuff I normally don't do. Literally, I'd never journal. So if you do, great. It's just, I don't do it. Um, And so I'm journaling and I'm just like three hours deep and I'm like, "I, I don't think I've ever felt so spiritual. I'm going to go eat. I'm going to celebrate. I got 300 bucks. And so I went down to the Applebee's down there because, you know, all you can handle. And I go down to the Applebee's and I order my food. And there was a really attractive waitress that was waiting on me. And I'm not the best looking dude. But in my 20s, I had a couple abs that were noticeable. I did all right. And she comes to wait on me and we start having just a good normal talk, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm still coming off three hours of Jeremiah, so I'm spiritual. I'm not even thinking what she's thinking. And then all of a sudden, the meal gets going, and all of a sudden, the conversation starts to take on a little bit of a different tone, and here's where it gets awkward, but I'm going I'm to tell you. And she basically, and I will say it just cryptically, but she basically looked at me and handed me her number and said, I'd sure love to come to your room tonight and hang out, wink, wink. And I knew exactly what that meant. And all of a sudden, Abel was off in the distance and (laughs) Cain in my mind. Because I hadn't, since I had been saved, I had been walking in purity, like I'd been taught, and like all of a sudden I had this new conviction. But I just felt this incredible mind game, and I felt this incredible surge of like, man, I'm in Janesville. No one, no one even knows where that is. No one will ever know. I can have a one night thing with this girl. No one will ever know. And then I can go back and I can fake it till I make it and I'll be just fine. And long story short, I looked at her. I wasn't wanting to be mean to her, but I I didn't give any impression that I was going to do that. And I said, thank you. And I took her number. I gave her a tip and I walked out and I stood by the trash can outside of Applebee's. I just had this incredible moment of God's grace. And I just looked at it. And I got a little emotional because I'm like, God, I want to do this. Well, who wouldn't? I'm a red-blooded male American. Don't get judgmental. <laughs> I don't, don't do that. I'm like, I want to do this. But I looked at it and I said, no. Like, this was my moment to be a real man. Like, not the world's type of real man, but a man of character, not a man of conquest. I could have had a sexual conquest that night. And the world would go, you're amazing. What an awesome dude, man. Cool, dude. That never happens to me. And I'm like, right, and I did, right? And I just looked at it and I threw it in the trash can and I walked away. And I felt so, don't clap, it's about to get ugly. <laughs> I had a hunch you go, to like, clap for that because it is a beautiful moment. But man, Cain is a powerful voice. We're about to read about it. I go to my room. <laughs> Sorry. Some of you were so proud of me. You're like, Hercules, Hercules, <laughs> Hercules. <laughs> I was proud of me for a moment there. And I know, what, I know how it ends. <laughs> and this is, it's good to laugh because this is, this is a tense moment. I, I go to my room and I'm like, man, I, I, I've been so spiritual. I've read my Bible, God. For, I literally had this conversation with God. I've read my Bible for three hours a day and journaled. I'm never going to do that again. And I journaled to you, Lord. And then I got hit on. I got an invitation that rarely happens to any human in that type of situation. I threw it away. I'm like, God, I'm done. I don't have any I don't have any more in the integrity tank. I'm done. So I'm gonna watch ESPN. That's what men do, right? And I get the control and I go to turn on the TV and it goes right to HBO, and there's this show. It's like Real Sex 48. It's showing HBO. Every guy right now is going, God, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what really? Cool, yeah, whatever. We're gonna have an altar call tonight. it's called Real Sex. And the thing you're supposed to do, right, we get, there's a book, Every Man's Battle, you bounce your eyes. You just turn it off and go, nope, nope. You you know, you you shut that down real quick, and I didn't shut it down. And so I had a 48-hour retreat where I spent three hours praying and over 24 hours looking at stuff I shouldn't have looked at. And I remember right before I went on that retreat, Sean, best friend at the time, he looked at me and said, dude, I'm praying for you, man, go get him. You need this. You've been, you've been busting your butt. And he knew I was in a bad place. And he was all excited. I lived with him at the time. And I pulled back up after that 24-hour escapade. And he looked at me. He goes, dude, you, you good? How'd it go? And I go, I, I'm, I've never been worse in my life, man. Worst spiritual retreat of my life. And then I told him everything. And the reason that I wanted to tell you guys that story, and I feel stupid. I feel dumb right now. But who cares? I want to go first is I want you gentlemen in your 20s to know that it's that, type of, it's that type of capacity that we all have in us, and until we can be honest about this stuff, even in front of women that deserve to hear it. Because if you can't learn to be honest with women before you get married, you won't be honest with women after you get married. I know, I've done it before. And I don't want one man in here to practice deception and dishonesty on our watch when we can have talks like this and you can learn from my mistakes. Your your future wives, gentlemen, they deserve that. Your future daughters and sons, they deserve that type of courageous honesty. And so I wanted to let you know there is such a capacity for hypocrisy and duplicity, not just prior to being saved, but after being saved. And if we don't talk honest and real about it, we'll never walk in the breakthrough and the freedom and the courage that real men of God are supposed to walk in. So we're gonna talk about it tonight. You can clap, commit though. Don't or do it. I'm kidding. I'm not mad. Genesis 4, verse 1. So we're reading tonight Cain and Abel as one person living inside of all of us. Now, Adam and Eve, or excuse me, now Adam knew his wife. Now, in the Hebrew, that word knew doesn't mean like he knew about her. It means they did it. So, again, we're going to be real. This is, okay, you guys. So it's, and this is how you say it in the Hebrew. He knew his wife. I studied Hebrew. That's how you say it. So now Adam knew Eve. It's like, that's what's up. That's what's up. She conceived and bore Cain saying, and ladies, you ready? You thought I was just preaching to the men. This is for you. Write this down. This is back tap material right here. This is life verse right here. You ready? I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Yeah. Let's pray and go home, right? Back tat, I'm kidding, don't do that, <laughs> sorry. She bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, so he, he's a farmer. Cain was the worker of the ground. No, he's the farmer, good Lord. Shepherd, Abel, farmer, Cain. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions, and here's what's really interesting, because we don't get as much information as we'd like to understand God's heart here. And the Lord had regard, or favor, some of your Bibles will say, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, we, there's all kinds of people that speculate, but if you talk to real theologians, they will tell you this is no place to speculate because the, the rule of interpreting scripture is when you're not given a, a detail, it's, it's because it's not the main point of the story. But I really love a detail there because I'm like, I want to be a worshiper of God. I would like to know what he accepts and I would like to know what he has no regard for. We don't get that. All we know is... Abel brought an offering that he accepted. And Cain brought an offering that he had no regard for. I am going to speculate, even though I'm not supposed to, according to theologians. One brought him what? Meat with fat portions. One brought him vegetables. Can't prove it till we get to heaven. But vegetarians, you're on notice. I love you in Christ, but I don't get it at all. It's like journaling, vegetarians journal, right? Jesus, my my kale was so good today. I'm just, thank you. I feel so healthy and stop, eat a steak. I have no business preaching in the evening. I'm usually in bed right now. This is why I'm like, I don't even know what's happening. Here's what I do know. Here's where this is no longer speculation when it comes to interpreting scripture. This is, this is what I do know. The New Testament tells us this about God and about life and about ethics and about worship. Anything not done in faith is sin. That's not my word. That's quoting literally New Testament scripture right there, which means, and Jess did such an amazing job at the women's conference talking about this. Sin is so much more than just an oops or a mess up ethically or morally. That's part of it. But sin is simply, it's an, archery, it's an archery term. It's missing the mark in anything in life. It's not just ethics. It's, it's missing the mark on the purpose God has on your life. It's missing the mark on how to treat people in life. It, it's, it's everything. And all I know is at some point, Abel must have brought an offering that was full of faith. He must have brought his first. In fact, it said firstborn, but I don't want to speculate. He brought his first and he brought his best to God. Men, that's what we're called to do. And every one of you in here has the spirit of Abel in him. The purest part of who you are, gentlemen, is a man that deeply wants to do right by God and worship your creator. But there are so many issues we talked about of brokenness that get in the way and cause fear to start to win out. And before you know it, you're bringing half-hearted, faithless worship to God. And then you're mad when God doesn't accept it. That's exactly what Cain's about to do. It says, so Cain was very angry. This is what men do when they're frustrated with life and when they're frustrated and don't know what to do with religion and with God and with their relationship and they don't feel good enough. Men either become passive or pissed. Those are the two ultimate manifestations and neither is more noble than the other or more dangerous than the other. They just look different and it's usually because of wiring. You're either angry or you're apathetic. Now, Cain is going to be angry, but he's got a dad. He probably, you know, we like to do when we don't like our dads, we do the opposite of them. His dad was known for what in the garden? Apathy. He was passive. So now we've got Cain, and he gets it wrong, and he's very angry. Some of you in here, God wants to heal you literally tonight from a deep-seated anger, and you don't even know where it came from or what name to give it. We're going to give it a name tonight. He, 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 he's angry. His face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, listen, sin is crouching at your door. And here's what sin does. It desires its desire for you is contrary to you. But then here's the great mandate on manhood. You must rule over it. God invites us gentlemen into the process. He says, hey, you have an opportunity to rule. To steward over sin that wants to destroy you. You have an opportunity to rule over the brokenness in your life and do something right and responsible and repentant and healthy with your, with your stuff, your brokenness, your shame. That's what he's really feeling. I know it manifested in anger, and Cain's about to be tough guy. Cain's about to be rebel guy with God, but what he's really feeling is shame in that moment. My brother brought an offering that was acceptable, I brought an offering that was unacceptable. I feel shamed, I feel stupid, I feel embarrassed. So what's it manifest into? What a lot of men do? Anger. Overcompensating. Gentlemen, this is what we do when we don't know what to do with brokenness. We overcompensate with conquests. Plaques on the wall, money in the bank, sexual escapades and sexual conquests that we brag about. This is what happens when you don't know what to do with your shame and when your brokenness. And this is exactly what happens with Cain. Goes on to say this. Cain spoke to Abel. His brother, nope, did I miss it? Yep, nope, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Again, I would like so much more information here. That is graphic and crazy, and that's all we get. But again, it's not the point of the story. We're we're getting to the point of the story. He killed his brother. Then the Lord said to Cain, and remember, God asked questions that you need to answer yourself, not that he needs to know. God already knew all the answers to these. He says, where's Abel, your brother? And he says this, and we'll come back to this. I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? We'll come back to that. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now, listen to this, you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, this is what his destiny was. This is what God's call on his life was. This is where he was supposed to get so much joy and gratification from, right? Being a farmer, working the ground. This was his noble trade. This is what God knit him in his mother's womb. One of the integral things he was supposed to do to walk in the fullness of joy. And now all of a sudden there's a curse on that, right? It says, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You ever feel like that? Any of you walk in here, gentlemen, right now, and you feel like that's your story right now? You're working hard and there's no return on it. And you're angry and you're frustrated and you don't know what's going on. We're going to see in a minute that this is actually grace from God, not punishment. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. We're going to see that's not true. but That's what you feel. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. He says, I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. And here's where it gets good. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And then listen to this, gentlemen. The Lord put a mark on Cain. God's mark, God's sign. God's going, you're with me. Again, can we, let's stop and think about this. Right on the backside of his greatest murder, greatest rebellion, He's like, I'm not going to make it without you, God. I'm going to get killed immediately when I go out from this safe place that you've put me in. And God's like, absolutely not. Anybody that messes with you is messing with me and they'll get sevenfold. And then God says, and I'm putting my mark on you. Why would God do that? The God of justice. Why in the world wouldn't capital punishment be the right answer? Isn't that what our basic human instincts tell us? Eye for an eye. You just literally, in cold blood, for no other reason than you were ashamed and embarrassed, you literally killed your brother because he outdid you in the worship competition. And you killed your brother. How, How could God not be so angry that his instant reaction is, no, we're going eye for an eye, man, you're done. But what I want us to see, gentlemen, is God has consequences for his actions. We reap what we sow, right? But God, through all of his consequences, doesn't turn his back on him. And we serve a God. And I want you to understand this, gentlemen, because so many guys trip out about their relationship with God when they've rebelled. When they're not doing well. They just start to assume God's mad at them and God doesn't like them and God's done with them. Listen, if he's not done with a cold-blooded murderer right after it happens and he says, anybody messes with you, they mess with me and I'll put a mark on you so they know that you're mine. If God can do that right after somebody cold-blooded murders someone, how must he feel about you right now? Think about that. How must he feel about you right now, gentlemen? You are so much more loved by the... He is so much more committed to you than you could ever imagine right now. He is not afraid of the deepest and darkest Most broken parts of your heart right now. There's no story that you can bring to this altar, gentlemen, that will trip God out at all. There's nothing you can tell him about your life story and your brokenness that will speed his divine heart rate up at all. He knew every bit of your story long before you were ever born before you were formed in your mother's womb. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He knows the beginning from the end. There's nothing in your life you've experienced that God doesn't already know, that 2,000 years ago his son didn't already pay for, and that God doesn't already have a redemptive plan in motion for you right now. And, And what I want you to understand is it's in these wandering moments where everything can go south. He thought he was dead. He thought he was done. Some of you right now, you walk in here and that's your story right now. The ground you were once working is no longer giving back what you thought it would. You're working your butt off and it's not returning what you hoped it would. You feel like you're just wandering. You don't know your purpose. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what's next. You don't know how God feels about you. You don't know how people feel about you. You definitely don't really like yourself right now. You're a wanderer. And can I tell you, wandering is a gracious gift from God. It seems like punishment when we read it. It's not punishment. It's discipline. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Do you know the ending of Cain's story? He wanders and he's scared. And gentlemen, here's what I want you to know. It's, it's bumper sticker theology. Let me say this. Uh, bumper stickers in Colorado are amazing. My favorites are 0.0. You guys know what I'm talking about? People run marathons and go 26.2. I would, too, if I ever did that. But I haven't. But I love the people that put 0.0 on their car. <laughs> I'm like, I hear, I hear you. Uh, coexist. If you own a Subaru, you got to have that on there, right? Coexist. And I have a theory that it's the Kevin Bacon type thing. Within seven wrecks, there's always a Subaru involved. <laughs> I'm offending so many people. I'm sorry. <laughs> but there's one that I see all the time, and I never saw it until Colorado. And I used to disagree with it. And I started really thinking about life more. And, I, and it, it says this, not all who wander are lost. You guys know, have you ever see that? Now you're going to see it everywhere. Not all who wander are lost. I used to, my cynical side, and I'm like, whatever. That's so poetic and lame. Stop. (laughs) And the older I've gotten, and even when you start to read the story, I'm like, that's actually true. Cain's not lost in this moment. Cain's actually found. Because when God will graciously put you in unfamiliar terrain, and he will let you wander so that you, this is going to rhyme, and it's cheesy, but so you can ponder. (laughs) Sorry, I hate that, but I had to do it. (laughs) You'll remember it. Wandering equals pondering, and here's what I mean by that. (laughs) I need to hurry. You wrap this up. But every moment Cain was in unfamiliar territory, all of a sudden he has to look around and go, how did I get here? What brought me to this? I never want this feeling of insecurity. An instability, I had this, this unfamiliar terrain when I had it good where I was at and now because of the consequences of my action, God's uh, taking me to a new place where I have to fully rely on him or I'm dead. And my only hope is that he put his mark on me. And, and the last thing Cain was when he was wandering was lost or a fugitive. That's the lie. Gentlemen, that's the lie from the enemy. When you feel like nothing's working in life, You feel like you're working so hard. You feel like you're not good enough. You feel like you've made too many mistakes. And so you're just kind of out there. And while everybody's doing their thing and moving and shaking and hustling and grinding, you're sitting there going, what's next, God? Can I just challenge you? You are not in a bad place. You are in a place to look around and go, how did I get here? And the accountability of wandering, the accountability of new terrain, the accountability of being so fully dependent on God for what's next is going to be actually the thing that excels you to the next phase of life. It's actually going to be the catalyst for redemption. It's not. See, when God disciplines, he's always doing it for the sake of redemption. It's not for the sake of punishment. You have to understand this. God disciplines sons he loves. Like if you're not being, if you don't ever go through, what did Moses do after he murdered someone? Total unfamiliar territory. He instantly went to the desert, right? And it had to feel like an indictment. It had to feel, he lived in the palace his whole life. It had to feel like such an incredible downgrade. Some of you gentlemen, that's your story right now. You had it good, something went wrong, and you feel like you're walking in a downgrade right now. And can I tell you the most divine thing God did for Moses' destiny was send him to that desert? He was wandering, but he was not lost. But he didn't know that at the beginning. You don't know that about you right now. I came here to tell you, you're in such a sweet spot because if you are a son of God, he has his mark on you. And there's no mistake, there's no cane on the inside of you when it rears its ugly head that is more powerful than the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. God is not scared of your brokenness the way humans are, even people in the church world. I can't fathom how gospel people can be so offended and afraid of so many people's brokenness when we've been set free from that. And so I got to move on. I'm, I'm, I'm taking too many liberties, but uh, I, I want to say this. There's just three things I want you to think about real quick, and I'll just fl- I'll fly through them. I was going to spend more time on them, but I'll, I'll fly through them on how to deal with your brokenness. Because I don't want to just have a moment and say a bunch of different stuff and then walk out kind of going, yeah, it's okay, but I don't really know. The three things you can do right now to look brokenness in the eye and go, you're a real part of my story, but you don't get to dictate my future. You're a real part of my story. And, and, and God does what humans don't. God honors every part of your story, even moments like Cain has. Do you know how honoring God was at the height of his rebellion? If anyone touches you sevenfold and I'm putting my mark on you, do you know what he says when he puts his mark on you? I'm not ashamed of you. You're ashamed right now, but your father in heaven is not ashamed of you. Some of you need to hear that tonight, gentlemen. That alone right there is like at the height of where you're at now, God has a mark on you and he is not ashamed of you. He is proud of you. You bear his image. You are a son of God. And until you can make your peace with that, you will not lead the way men are called to lead. You will not walk in the fullness. You will be either angry or passive all the time. You'll either turn it on too much or you'll pull back and and not do anything. And you deserve better than that. Your wife or future wife deserves better than that. Your kids or future kids deserve better than that. They deserve better than angry or passive dad. They deserve a dad who knows that his heavenly father is profoundly proud of him on his best day, like Abel, and on his worst day. And if you walk through some consequences, please know this, it's God's grace. So the first thing I wanna tell you is this, if you wanna look brokenness in the face and confront it, You need to do it with a friend. Pity the man that falls down and has no one to help him up. Right? God has given us community as the greatest gift to walk through this chaotic, sin-stained planet Earth. Like, I don't know how people can do it without friends. And, man, I'm not, because you go, no, we hang out, we go to get wings, and we watch the sports games, and we talk, and we do the stuff, we play video games, we watch movies. But when was the last time you and another dude looked at each other, and you went deep about the brokenness in your life? And you didn't try and act like tough guy, and you didn't get all embarrassed, and you get all ashamed. You, when was the last time you had someone you trusted enough, gentlemen, to look in the eye and go, hey, 10 years ago, this happened to me, and I'm, I feel super stupid about it. And there's not many people I can tell, but I'm going to tell you. And you have a friend who's another man of God enough to look at you and go, dude, there's no shame. There's no sh- shame free zone right here. Like, do you have that, man? Because it's not enough to just walk through life with golf buddies. Play golf. Have fun. It's awesome. I love it. Play it. Play, play video games. Do what you do. But it's not enough to just go through life with men that are good at hobbies together we got to be men that lift up holy hands together. we got to be men that pray together. we got to be men that pray for each other. we got to be men that rebuke each other and look each other in the eye, man to man, and say, you're better than that. Stop it. Yeah. We need to be men that can look each other in the eye and say, hey, you are so loved by the creator of the universe, and here's what I see in you, and I'm going to call out greatness on the inside of you. When everyone else is choosing to see this or that about you, I'm going to see the best in you, and I'm going to call it out. And when you're not living up to your best, I'm also going to be kind enough and courageous enough to look at you and call it out. The Bible calls us to do this. When we are in the light, if we claim to have fellowship, 1 John 1, through 6-8. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, God, listen to this, gentlemen. Yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as God is in the light, that's the only place you're going to find God. It's the only place, any, any area where there's deception in your life, gentlemen, God will not work. That's part of ruling over that he told Cain. If you just rule over it. Because see, what sin wants you to do most is, is, is stay in the dark with it. Stay quiet about it. That's why it was weird for me as one of your pastors come up here and tell you that weird story in the hotel, but I kind of feel more free. Because if you come back on Sunday and listen to me preach... You know the best of me, you know the worst of me, right? I'm in the light with you guys. And, and gentlemen, I just did that to say, we need, we need more of this with each other. What are we so afraid of? Humans are broke. You have, you have Abel in you, you have beauty in you, you have purity in you, gentlemen. But you also have this shadow side and it's winning too much with us. If we're in the light, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, do you hear that? If we get honest about things with each other, we have fellowship. That's what you were designed for. That's where you, human flourishing starts to happen when you have fellowship with each other. And how lacking are we that in this society right now? When you have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Listen to this. If we claim, like we're about to remind ourselves that Cain did it first, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, gentlemen, and the truth is not in us. I remember looking at Sean when we first started to be friends and I looked him in the eye. We were sitting in a car in the church parking lot. He reminded me this week of this conversation, and I looked at him, and I said, dude, I think you're awesome, but I don't need another friend. I'm good there. I need someone that's going to make me better. Are you in? And he said, I'm in. And 20 years later, we're doing all right. Can't tell how many times he's made me such a better man of God because he looked me in the eye and told me something I didn't want to hear and had the guts to let me be a whiny baby for a little bit before we hugged it out. Yeah. That's a real man, right? And how many times I've looked at him and said, you're better than that, dude. And no matter what immediate reaction was, it ended in redemption. Do you have a friend like that, gentlemen? If not, it's okay, but it's not okay to continue in that. Your biggest prayer walking out of here is, God, give me that guy. Give me that man of God or those men of God in my life. Way more important than hobbies is having some men in life that care more about Jesus than you. Because if they care more about Jesus than they care about you and how you think about them, there will be a 20-year-long deep friendship where you do life together. Just like Sean. Sean and I are no better than any of you in here. We just got something beautiful because we made a decision. I don't need another friend. Sean didn't need another friend. What we needed was some iron to sharpen some iron. That's what we needed. Number two is this. I'm so late. I'm Band, come out here. I'm going to wrap this up. Hurry, guys. I'm so sorry. Jess, I'm so sorry. Come back next week. Ryan's like 36 minutes. He's, and, it's aw- and Ryan's awesome. Number two, this is, this is so huge for us, gentlemen. Own your mistakes. What was Cain's reaction to God who knew everything ahead of time? Where's your brother, Abel? What was Cain's response? You remember? Am I my brother's keeper? Write this down, gentlemen, if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, write this down. The answer to that question is always yes, emphatically yes. You are your brother's keeper. And someday your wife's keeper. And your best friend's keeper. And you're called to be your kid's keeper. And you're called to be an employer or an employer. You're called to be a keeper of humanity. This is the great noble thing we've been given to do. It's not accomplish stuff and make a bunch of money. Listen, all that's good in its proper place, but not if you treat people horrible. You are your brother's keeper. I picture God, we don't get it in the Bible, but I picture God going, yeah, you're absolutely your brother's keeper. You think you're doing life on your own little island? You think it's all about you? That's called narcissism. That's, that's the antithesis of the gospel of what we're called to be. You can't flourish when you think life is all about you. You're absolutely, one of the greatest, no matter what you do in the work world or whatever, that's great, but the great calling on your life is to literally be the keeper of other people, be the lifter of their heads, be protector, be the preserver, be someone who helps God in the redemptive plan. So yeah, gentlemen, until you call something what it really is, until you call a spade a spade, God's not gonna do what he wants to do in you and through you. You're just gonna be stuck and wandering way longer than he wants you wandering. And God doesn't want that for you. I definitely don't want that for you. But you got to start giving a name to some of the stuff that you've currently been deceived by. And you're you're just calling it pet names and well, we just date and, and it's just kind of fun. It's a hookup. It's this, it's that. No more. Like call it what it is. It's disrespecting another female. Until you put a ring on that, Walk down an aisle, have an absurdly stupid, expensive party. Leave her alone. Don't. You're her keeper. And if you start now, man, you're going to wake up someday like me and be 43. That sucks to say. (laughs) And if you can practice being that keeper now of people and people's hearts... You can start protecting anyone you see, whether you know them or don't know I me. Mean, if you can be a protector of God's image bearers, if you can defend those that can't defend themselves. Ladies, you wanna look for a man that's gonna do you right for decades? Look for a man that will defend people that can't defend themselves. Look for that man. That's what King Lemuel's mom wrote to the king. You better defend people that can't defend themselves. That's the mark of royalty. This is what we're called to do. So number two, yeah, own your mistakes. Quit giving him pet names. Gentlemen, the, the most cowardly thing we do, I know because I'm one of them, is we, we justify with such incredibly creative narratives the sin instead of just calling it what it is. And all you're doing is going deeper into the forest of wandering. You're driving yourself deeper into the discipline of the Lord. And listen, he disciplines you because he loves you. He'll let you stay there as long as you want. He did it with Israel. But the goal is the promised land. The goal is human flourishing. Milk and honey, that's what he wants for us. Number three is this, and I I, I spent too much time. Preach the gospel to yourself relentlessly. And this is where I get emotional, because this has saved my life. And this is the one that seems the least practical. It sounds ethereal, like, oh yeah, preacher. No, 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 no. Warriors wake up every day and speak life over themselves. You have to be the best, most important preacher in your life. It's not your pastor at your church. It's you. The most important preacher in your life will always be you. Speaking the gospel because it is so good. It is so otherworldly. It is so unfair by this world standards, the gospel. You are so much more loved by God than you can even come close to imagining right now, gentlemen. You can't even imagine how loved you are by God. If, you got, if Cain got a mark the day he murdered, think how much God loves you right now relentlessly preach the gospel over yourselves. Read the book of Romans over and over and over until you wake up one day and go, man, I'm just, I'm just a child of grace and grace asks nothing of me. That sounds dangerous in our capitalistic society. Listen to me gentlemen, grace of God asks nothing from you. Rest in that right now. The grace of God asks nothing from you. People will, human relationships will, that's okay, but the grace of God asks nothing from you. That's how otherworldly, it's undeserved, unfair, unmerited favor over you. It's your only source of true soul health in this lifetime. And you cannot be for other people what you're called to be for other people until your soul is healthy. And the only pathway to health is to rest in the unthinkable rhythms of the grace of God that he has over your life. You are as loved by God as you will ever be right now. It doesn't matter what you walked in here with. Doesn't matter what you walked in here with. The the, uh, ending to Cain's story never gets talked about. You can go back and read it in Genesis 4. It gives a long genealogy. Boring, but it's there. And then it says this. Cain went and started the first city in human history. The dude became a mayor. A murderer became a mayor. And here's what's really cool to me because I'm a dad. He named the city after his first son. You know how cool that must have been for his first son? He doesn't know the murderer. He knows the mayor. My dad's the mayor. My dad started this city and named it after me. That's honorable, future fathers of America. That's noble right there. The ending of his story wasn't he killed his brother in cold blood. It was he went and he wandered and he did something with that wandering. He started a city out there in that unfamiliar territory. It was the first one we have recorded. And he named it after his son. How much do you have feel, felt about his son to honor him like that? God is always up to something. So Some of you right now, you feel like it's over and you're done. You made too many mistakes. Listen, you're just getting started. God has such an incredible plan for your life. It's incredible. So I'm sitting in my counselor's office a couple of weeks ago, and he's just breaking me down. And... I, I, I go to this past, uh, counselor who specializes in jacked up pastors. And I'm sitting there with him. And he looks at me at one point. I don't know what we're talking about. I'm just yapping away. And he stops me. and He goes, Chad, look at me right now. I want you to hear this, gentlemen. I, ladies, I want you to hear this too. Because this applies to humanity. He looked at me. He said, Chad, God is in love with your brokenness. And I said, no, he's not. I literally, we had an argument for a minute. I tried to do theology with him. And he just sat there all cool, like counselors do, Well, I'm all freaking out. I'm like, that's no, no, he wants to fix my brokenness, right? It's like, so I can get on. He wants to destroy Cain so there can be more Abel. He wants to get the half-hearted worship out of me so that he can have the full and the purest worship. And while some of that is true, he looked at me and said, Chad, God loves your brokenness, not because of all the behavior that comes from it. There's a bunch of behavior that comes from brokenness that he doesn't endorse. Don't get me wrong. But he said, God loves your brokenness because it's the full story of you. Some of you need to hear that right now. And I sat there and he started, and all of a sudden I went from argumentative to it clicked and I just sat there and I just started bawling. Like I had a moment, like a little kid, like I I went back to my childhood and when he was talking to me, I started bawling. And I was like, I want to, I want to accept that because I'm so hard on myself on the inside as a man. I was like, could God really love my brokenness? All my fears and insecurities and things, all the things I'm so not proud of, all the things that make me not feel like a warrior, I feel like a wuss. God loves that stuff and he's like, God loves it. Again, not all the behaviors, but God loves it because it's your story and he's just a proud dad. He just loves you, gentlemen. Period. Grace requires nothing of you. Nothing. Can you accept that tonight? So will you guys stand? And we're gonna do this. We're gonna sing a song we've been singing, some would say too much. I don't care. I feel like it's prophetic for our church right now. So we're gonna sing it unapologetically and we're gonna sing it passionately. And gentlemen, I'm gonna ask you to do something Courageous, especially with women in the room. But let's let's be the men of God we're called to be. Let's lead. I'm going to ask you when there's, like I did a couple weeks, when there's a line in this song that you most need to sing over yourself, I'm going to ask you to come down to the front. And if and when it gets full, I'm saying that by faith. Ladies, if you will at some point then scoot back and make more room because I want as many men that need to come down here. I need you to fake something if that's not you but i think there's more brokenness in you than you think right now and i think the holy spirit tonight did a revealing work that is powerful and he wants you to come down here and he wants you to not only sing the words on the screen because they're so powerful he wants you to give a name to your brokenness some of you it's abuse some of you it's depression some of you it's mental illness Can I just say to you, and I know this is a really small population in this room, if it's mental illness, that's what the world calls you, God calls you beloved, beloved. And I want this place to be a haven for you because I can't imagine what you have to walk through in life. I want this to be a haven of peace. I want you to know that you're so loved by your father. You're not less of a man. If you walk in here and there's some real struggles with some deep depression, some bipolar, and all the other things that we could clinically list, you're not less of a man. You are beloved by God. He has his mark on you and he is proud of you. He's got a story to tell through you. Some of you have porn addictions right now and it is literally at an epidemic proportion on the globe. There's nothing we've ever seen like it when it comes to something that is destroying men's souls faster than ever. It's not time to play church or be embarrassed or feel ashamed. I already told you what happened to me at Janesville, Wisconsin. Get over it. Come down here and give it a name and cry out to God. You are going to wander for way too long in this lifetime, not tasting the fullness of your destiny, if you let that stupid porn addiction get the best of you. God has grace for you. God has healing for you. God has, I'm telling you, when I'm done here, you're like, well, then do it. Please stop talking. There's, I'm just telling you this Pastorally. It's not me, it's not, I didn't even preach it. great a message. Here's what's gonna happen, the power of God's gonna fall in this place. And there is gonna be healing, there's gonna be stories from this moment tonight. <laughs> that you're literally gonna look back on and go, that changed the trajectory of my life. I became a real man that night. Not the man the world tells me I'm supposed to be, I became a real man that night. Don't be afraid to call it what it is. If you have a porn addiction, come down here and cry out to God and say, God, please. Don't care that there's women, they, they, these women are for you. They're not against you, they're for you. They are for you. Some of you in here, and I hate this for you and I'm so sorry, you've been abused physically, emotionally, verbally, and if it's by, it, bad by anyone, but especially if it's by like a father or a mother, I'm so sorry, some of you have been spiritually abused by a church, that's real abuse. That's not, that's not in a different category. That is real abuse, some of you. And you're scared to death of this whole church thing. And I pray that it stops tonight. I pray that we could be a haven of peace for you. Pray that we could be a haven of peace for you. You have to give it a name, though. Some of you need to look. You've got that friend I was talking about already. You need to look them in the eye, and you need to come clean with something. You need to be accountable, not just to God. Right? There's forgiveness when we tell it to God. There's healing when we tell it to each other. Okay. some of you need to do that. And so shut up, Chad. I'm going to pray. But this isn't this isn't me. So when I pray, would you just say, would you just ask the Holy Spirit to do like wonders in his place, like signs and wonders in this place? I don't have the power to do that, but he does and he wants to do it. We do that. Heavenly Father, we just ask in these next few minutes as we begin to sing about the reckless love of God over our life. Holy Spirit, would you just invade this place, invade our hearts, invade our minds. Would you do miracles of healing? Would you do miracles of redemption? Would you pour out your spirit in such powerful and tangible ways? I pray that we walk out with miracles and we walk out with stories like we have never seen before with the men of God at Red Rocks Church, YA. God, I just pray right now for every man that's scared of those dark parts of who he is that he would see for the first time. God, that your brokenness is part of his story and you're not ashamed of it. You're there to help with it. You're there to speak life over it. You're there to show him love. God, do something sweet in these next few minutes. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing.